Reality Church is a church striving to be biblical. We pray that this sermon would help you in your personal walk. Be blessed. I hope that you uh, got my message about bringing a notebook and a Bible because I was talking to uh, Brother Jesse yesterday. We went to, uh, we had to go bury my dad's pup and thank God for Brother Jesse because if he hadn't come over to help me, I would probably still be digging or I would be unconscious out there back there because it was hot and that ground was hard. But I was talking to him and I said, you know, I've, I'm in the middle of study and I wanted to go ahead and do this while you were available to go get it done. I said, I'm on page nine, typed, of my notes, and I've just now finished the first verse out of the three. So, like I said, I hope you brought your Bible and a notebook and maybe packed a lunch and a drink because we're going to dig into this and I'm very excited to be talking about this subject. I think it's something very important for the church to hear. R.C. Sproul is uh, one of my heroes of the faith. He said, To be spiritually dead is to be worldly. It is to buy into and follow slavishly the values and customs of the secular world. Not only do the spiritually dead follow the course of this world, they follow the prince of the power of the air. Sproul is making a clear distinction here, okay? The one who has been brought to life in Christ cannot live according to the course of the world. You cannot love the world. And John is trying to hammer this point home in today's text. Um, It's essential for the church to not love the world or buy into its systems and ways And John is actually admonishing the church he's speaking to, the the hearers. He's also drawing a line of distinction in this text as well. That those who, who love the world are not able to love the Father and do as he wants either. So, let's get into it. John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Now hear the infallible inspired word of God. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is infallible, inspired, and inerrant, that it is a reliable set of historical documents written down by eyewitnesses in the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, testifying to supernatural events prophesied in scripture, that it leads us to one place, and that is Christ himself, that the gospel is what can change our hearts and lives. God, we thank you for that. Uh, God, we ask that you would remove the veil, that we may clearly understand what you have to say through these scriptures. Holy Spirit, light the path. Be a light unto our feet and a lamp to our path as we walk through this scripture together. And help us to see exactly what you have said, God, without any added extras. In Christ's name, amen.
Amen. So, in order to go forward, I think first let's define a couple terms, okay? The first term we need to define in this text and in, in this context is the world. In this context, the world is not the people that live on earth. In some legalist churches, you may have heard the world identifying people out there. And sure, there are lost people in the world. But that's not what John is talking about here. The world is, a, is defined by something very specific. And it's not the people that live on the earth. Because we are called by Christ to love people. We love those who are in sin and not in Christ by telling them the truth and sharing the hope of the gospel with them. We love our fellow Christians as Christ has loved the church as we talked about in our sermon on brotherly love a couple weeks ago. So we can eliminate feelings for people or people groups or certain types of people from this discussion. It has nothing to do with that. It's the, when you hear, hear the world discussed here, it is not the people in it. The world here is something very specific. John Stott says that the world here must be viewed as an evil system. You see, the prince of this world is Satan. Not the prince of the planet itself. Christ is the king of this earth. He is the prince of these world systems. That's what the world is here, okay? It's world systems. And I think the word love here also needs to be clearly understood. When linked with the world, love is not the love we have for those in the world as we desire to see them redeemed by Christ. It's not the same thing. It's... Not a Christian's love for their neighbor. Different kind of love. Because we must have love for those in the world. The love talked about here is described as selfish love of participation by Alfred. It is a love and desire of the world's systems and the things that the world has to offer. That's what that love of the world is. So in light of these definitions, I think we can accurately state the theme of these verses. Here it is. Do not selfishly love and participate in world systems and seek after the things that this world has to offer. That is what John's trying to say with these verses. He's not saying don't love the people out there because they're sinners. He's not saying don't love the people out there because they're doing evil things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying don't love the world systems. The things that the world has to offer. The things that distract us from Christ. Don't fall into a, a, a worldly system of living and love that more than you love Christ. Don't fall into a desire for more and love that more than you love Christ. Now let's begin to break down these verses as we always do. Verse 15. Do not love the world or the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That first phrase, do not love the world. 
we have to keep it in the context of what we have defined the world as first. The world here is the systems of the world, the way the world seems to work, those cultural standards, those, those social standards, those, those things that we're made to think are, are the norm and we elevate in our own heads. Many in the modern world live and die by the world systems that they buy into. And unfortunately, some in the visible church do as well. What are some of these systems? Don't throw any rocks if I, if I hit one of your favorites, okay? Patriotism. That's a world system. Liberalism. That's a world system. Progressivism. Activism. Capitalism. Communism. Fascism. Socialism. Pretty much, really most, almost any ism is going to be a world system. Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Social Justice, Individualistic Justice. All of these systems are world systems. Christ gave the answer for these systems. He preached something very specific. Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. His kingdom. Repentance. Belief in the gospel. These are the true answers to world systems. Now, now, not saying that there may be points in some of these systems that are good for us to feel, you know, and good for us to identify with ethically and morally. Those are, those are great things. But when we are ruled by a world system, when I'm a patriot or a liberal or a progressive before I'm a Christian, then I've got a problem. I've got a major problem. Jesus, in conversation with Pilate, said something that is very important about his kingdom. John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Christ's kingdom is not of this world. And something my elders hear me say a lot. Our citizenship is not in this world. The gospel is the only true answer to the issues that we face in our society, in our culture, in our world. They are only answered by the gospel. Sure, we stand up for things we believe in. Absolutely. We just don't buy into the world system above Christ. And also, when we stand up, we stand up in a different way. Because we stand up for what we believe in with kindness and respect, as Christ has called us to. We do not submit ourselves to a world system. We submit ourselves to Christ. We repent and trust in Christ. That's how we handle world systems. That's how we handle it. 
Next it says, and of course we can add basically the, the term do not love, the things of this world, the things in the world. We cannot love things in the world. Seeking after possessions, trying to gain more things that we can hold in our hands. This is what has led to the trend we see in many American families these days. Mom or dad work crazy jobs with crazy, crazy hours, lots of overtime that keep them from their families just so that they can make more money to have more stuff. And it leads us to choose work over all of the important things, church, family, solid godly relationships. You know, it's all about the desire for things. Truly, a man is supposed to take care of his home, and if the woman has to work, take care of her home. But the thing is, we also need to realize our families need us as well. Our kids need us. Truly, we can lose our souls in the search for more things. Mark eight thirty six says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In loving the things of this world, we never seek after the things that edify us in Christ. It's, it's all about the next possession. It's materialism is what it is, truly. Christ addressed this clearly in John 6. He said, or in Matthew 6, I mean, Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What an important concept that Christ is teaching here. This is a very important concept. You see, we must invest our hearts, our sweat, our blood, and our earthly treasure in seeking after heavenly treasures. What I call the things that echo throughout eternity. There are certain things in life that will echo throughout eternity. So what can we do that will echo throughout eternity? Shepherding our families. That will echo throughout eternity. Actively investing in our churches. That will echo throughout eternity. Sharing the gospel will not only echo throughout eternity, it will have an effect on eternity because it is the gospel that leads men to salvation. Time spent in heavenly pursuits will echo throughout eternity. Your time in prayer, your time in the Word of God, your time in family worship with your family, those times echo throughout eternity. Why? Because they have an effect not only on you, but on your family, your kids, your wife, your husband. 
not better cars or more toys or cooler possessions. All of those things are going to fade away. They'll turn to dust one day. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about it when I was in this portion of my study. I am a, I am a multitasker. So when I'm studying, when I'm writing my sermon, it's odd, but I have to have the TV on. Because I'm a multitasker. I don't know why. I just I, I seem to do better when I have the TV on writing my sermon. And I was watching a show called Strangest Things. And basically what it is is there's these things that have been found in ancient, you know, archaeologists have found these ancient things. And they're talking about them and how they, some of them can't be explained. <laughs> and I was watching it and there was this little thing that the Romans had. It looked like a little 12-sided figure, had little holes in it, all different shapes, and had some little knobs on it. And these guys were talking about, what does it mean? What does it mean? And I'm like, sitting to myself thinking, you know, that could have been just some kid's toy. You know, and there, there's this plate with all these symbols on it. What do they mean? Are they, te- are they telling the future? No, it's probably a plate somebody had on one of those little things that, like, we put those fancy plates on, those little racks. And I started thinking, like, they, these people are, are looking at these things, these objects, and trying to put such significance in them, when there may not be any significance at all. Why, for one thing, the people who made it are gone. And those things will eventually fade into nothing. And I started thinking, what that we have now in a few thousand years are they going to look at and say, what was this for? What was this? What did they do with this thing? It boils down to one thing, I think, if we're honest, okay? The love of the world and the things of this world. It boils down to one thing. Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Loving these world systems, identifying yourself with a system over your Christianity, seeking after all of these great possessions and and, and spending your life being a materialistic desire of new stuff is one thing in Scripture. It is defined as idolatry. That's what it is. And just when you think, well, I'm not an idolater. Well, guess what? John Calvin said something very important one time. He said, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. And he also said, the mind begets or the mind births an idol and the hand gives it birth. Our mind thinks it up and then our hands put it, put, put it together for us. So we are constantly 
putting our mind to other things and elevating them to ungodly levels. And then we begin to put our hands to pursuing those things. And in doing so, we join Abram's father in his trade, in his profession of idol making. We can make our political views, our social constraints, our cultural cares into massive idols in our lives. We can, with the desire for more, more money, more things, more possessions, can easily, these things can easily become the graven images in our lives. And it's only made worse when the pulpit in the church begins to build itself by magnifying these things. It's the scene in the progressive churches chasing after social issues and nullifying the Word of God as its authority. It's seen in the fundamentalist and Pentecostal churches at times in elevating America and Republican values to the level of doctrine and even Scripture at times. It's definitely seen in the Word of Faith movements focus on gaining material possessions as a proof of our faith. It's all idolatry. It's all love of the world. It's world systems. It has no place in the church. This is something that all of us, all of us should repent for if we're honest. This is something that we all fall into quite often. Lord, forgive us for the love of the world and the things in it. Help us turn to you as our treasure. Help us desire to live lives that echo through eternity. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. You know how it's said at the end of verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. This makes it clear. All of these things that are in the world are not from the Father. They're from the world. The first phrase, for all that is in the world. Now listen, we need to understand what kind of world we're talking about here. Let's be honest about it. This is the self-sufficient world, right? The world that is absolutely running contrary to the Creator. God made this world and has set the standard for this world, yet... We got it ourselves. We think we can do anything. You do you, girl, right? Or go live your dreams. Your destiny awaits. That's self-sufficiency, and that's running contrary to the Word of God and to who God is as Creator. John is about to show us what is in the world, the traits that are present in the world, and the traits that are present in those who love the world. Those outside of Christ, unfortunately, those traits are being more prevalent and brought to the forefront within the church. I would say that love of the world and the things in it breed these particular traits in our lives. This is what, this is, loving the world, the things of the world, this is what begins to be bred into your life, is this. Love of the world breeds desires of the flesh. The cravings. And lust of the sinful man. The sin nature within ruling us and 
A man is born in sin. We know this. Sinful things are what we are bent towards, right? Before Christ, we did what felt good, right? What made us the happiest. And most of the time, it was the wrong choice, the wrong thing. Love of the world makes those things our greatest desires. We go towards those things and not God. That is why it's so important that we do not love the world. That is why we kill sin and pursue holiness in our lives. The second thing it breeds is the desires of the eyes. We seek after visual, tangible gratifications, right? We want to see results. We want to be able to touch the results when we love the world. We lust after what we can see. We forget that the important things, the things that do echo through eternity, are generally not visible. You can't see them. Love for the world blinds us to anything except what I want right now. It's idolatry. We love the temporal things. When God is our hope, we place our trust, belief, and love in something that we have never seen with our eyes. The one true God of all the universe. And the last thing it breeds in us is the pride of life. Vanity, self-love, arrogance, pride, it's sin. When we love the world, we boast in the world. 2 Timothy 3, 1-5 says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. So we go from sinful gratification from outside things to sin focused on ourselves. This is very self-focused. It is a pride in us. What we have. What we do. What we think. What we believe to be truth. How we identify is the pride of life. It's a pride focused on me and my living, how I'm doing. We know John has been speaking to believers and he also has kind of been speaking to false teachers and counterfeit Christians at the same time. And in the next phrase, he makes a distinction about these traits that we should take notice of. He's clear about where the traits come from. Not from the Father, but it's from the world. Who is the prince of this world? Satan. We must seek things that are from the Father. As Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Verse 17. 
And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away with its desires. Listen. Listen clearly. I'm going to state my position. Christ is victorious. Period. Christ is victorious. One day, this world and its things will be gone. For those not in Christ, the gratification and possessions will be gone. Their fate will be eternal punishment in hell. The one day, the world and its things will have absolutely no hold or sway over us who are in Christ. And what is the promise for us? Whoever does the will of God abides forever. What will? What will of God? Romans 8, 28 through 30 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. The golden chain. God's will and redemption. We repent and trust in Him, and then we will abide in Him forever, just as the song we sang this morning said, He will hold me fast. He's not going to let me go. What a wonderful assurance that is. What a wonderful assurance that is. And let me give you some more. Are you ready? This world is not our home. It has nothing to offer us in the long run. That is why the gospel is so important. We need to be delivered from this world and the love of it. So let's apply our understanding of this text to the gospel as we understand it. God created this world and He determines what we should and shouldn't do. And still man falls. Right? Why? Why does man fall? But we've been doing this in our family worship this week. So I'm going to take you there. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree, any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was be desired to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate why did they fall let's draw a line 
from here all the way to 1 John. The lust of the flesh. What did the serpent say to her? You shall be like God. That is a very lustful feeling for the flesh. To be like God. Isn't that what we want to be in our lives before we have Christ as Lord? We want to be the God of our lives. We want to be top dog. We want to be in control. We want to make our decisions. Live our life the way we want to live it. What about the lust of the eyes? It says that the woman looked at that tree and saw that the tree was good for food. She looked at it and lusted after the fruit. The lust of the eyes. What about the pride of life? What was true? What was true of this tree and this fruit? It was desirable to make one wise. Conceit, arrogance, pride. If I eat it, I'm going to know some stuff. Self-focused. So present at the fall are the same traps we fall into now by loving the world and its things. Why? Because it's all sin. There is nothing new under the sun. The devil's tricks back then are the same as they are today. It's all sin. And why do we sin? I think Brian Chappelle says it best. Because we love it. That's why we sin. God gave us laws and we cannot keep them on our own. And now we need help. And Christ came. And He lived a sinless life. Died as our propitiation. Our replacement. He took our sin and our punishment upon Himself on the cross. And now He gives us His righteousness if we are in Christ. Now He is mediator. And His kingdom is not made by hands. It is not of this world. We must repent and trust in Him, not trust in the world. Now, now, finally, we have the Holy Spirit living within us, sanctifying us, so we can kill sin and the love of the world in our lives. We can crush idols only through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same idols that we are prone to create. So I'm going to leave you with the warning that Spurgeon gave the Christian. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, Our joy ends where love of the world begins. Our joy ends where love of the world begins. You see, Christ is our joy, and He is our exceeding treasure. So I admonish you, much as John did and much as Spurgeon and many theologians since, much as Christ did, do not love the world. Do not love the world. I want to pray for you. Father, we come before you
humbly in repentance for the idolatry in our lives, when we have elevated the things of this world to too high a standard, when we have sought after things and not after Christ, God, forgive us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us to move forward in life and see that you are our exceeding treasure and our abundant help. God, we thank you so much for Christ and what he has done for us. God, right now we pray for the sinner who doesn't have this as their hope. God, who is who is not repented and trusted in you for their salvation. God, I pray that they would turn to Christ, repent, and trust in you. That they would be cut to the heart and convicted of their sin. Sinner, run to Christ. He is your only hope. Cling to him for your salvation of your souls. Father, we thank you and we love you for your word today. We ask that you would bless it and let it be something that changes our lives. In Christ's name, amen.